You can see if you're taking notes this morning, I encourage you to do that, that we will be jumping out of our series in Mark and into 1 Timothy just for one week. So we'll be in 1 Timothy chapter 2, uh, leading up to this Love Bolivar event that Shane was talking about in the beginning of the service. Uh, someone approached me and asked if we had scheduled a prayer meeting for this event. And it reminded me, and in that discussion, I was reminded of the importance of calling out to God in, in all cases, but certainly in leading up to an event like this. And so uh, once that recommendation was made, it was clear that we must. In fact, there is a level of, of, uh, of, of healthy uh, shame, I don't know, embarrassment, that it was all, not already on the table and in the books. Uh, and uh, so in that sense, the Lord also used it to bring a conviction in me that is needed uh, but we went forward and scheduled three prayer meetings leading up to yesterday's event. And I believe God in his kindness put on display what happens when we pray. Uh, he was kind and merciful to answer many of our prayers. Uh, first, God stirred 150 of your hearts to sign up. And two days before we had to be done taking sign-ups, we only had half that. Uh, and we prayed in those prayer meetings that we would have, that was one of the specific prayers, that we would have enough volunteers to do the work. And in two days, uh, God doubled the amount of willing hearts. Isn't that awesome? Yesterday morning, there were over 40 people who heard the gospel and were prayed with by women in our church. And in answer to prayer, we, without incident, changed the oil in around 40 vehicles, planted gardens. Because that was a prayer concern. Lord, we practically speaking, we have practical needs on our list. One of the things, we, we want to do this without incident. Please help us, protect us. We're in, engaging into some unknown territory, and he was faithful to do so. Uh, and by his grace, our mediator, as we spoke to him, Jesus, heard our prayers and used you, those who volunteered in powerful ways to love and bless Bolivar. Thank you, Jesus. In each prayer meeting... We ask that God would make us more aware as a church of spiritual needs right here in this community. Not just here in our house, in our church house, but in our community. And so we ask God, make us more aware of spiritual needs in our community, people outside of our church house. And I've heard testimonies of how the Spirit of God did just this in many of your hearts. Some of you had conversations that put you in tears because you began to see the brokenness and uh, the lostness of those right here in our community and your heart broke for them and you were moved and the spirit was tugging at your heart. Wow, praise God, he answered our prayer. We asked that. That could have gone without happening, but we prayed and God answered. And our hearts became more warm and in tune with, uh, with his heart. So we see the spirit was moving. We saw the spirit moving through you, in you, out of you, and answering our prayers in each prayer meeting we read and, and prayed through this particular passage here in 1 Timothy chapter 2, 1 through 7. And it was from this place that we called out to God and we told him, right? God, we desire, uh, our desire is that you enable us to reach this community with the gospel of Jesus Christ, that, that Jesus would be made known through this event. 
And so that's the reason this morning I've decided to go ahead and preach from 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 7. So if you'll follow, I will read it to us and we will press on. Beginning in verse 1 of chapter 2 in 1 Timothy, Paul begins, First of all, then, I urge that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good, and it pleases God our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as ransom for all, a testimony at the proper time. For this I was appointed a herald, an apostle. I'm telling the truth, I am not lying, and a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. You think of Ukraine right now, church. I want us to think of Ukraine right now. If we heard that Ukraine had a secret weapon that was 100% effective, against Russia, but they weren't using it. We would consider that negligent, right? And the worst kind of negligence, right? Almost abusive in sense to their people even, right? Uh, we would consider it stupid. What? We would consider it taking the fool's path, right? In our faith walk with Jesus, we have a secret weapon. Right? And it's prayer. In our battle that we face as believers here in this church, there's no room for negligence. It is far too costly for us to fail to pick up prayer. Our success, our success as Christians in this life depends on prayer. And so that's why I want us to, and we've, we've talked about this, and maybe the Lord laid it on my heart because I am the one that is weak. And I need to preach this to myself. Maybe I wasn't to bring it to you this morning. Maybe I was just supposed to look in the mirror and preach this to myself and bring you something else. But nonetheless, here we are. And so I pray that there's others here that could receive and might need to receive this. That we need to look. Are we being negligent in our prayer? Because our success in the life as Christians that God's put in front of us depends on it. Right? That is how God has ordered things. He intends for us to pray. He gets things done. How? Through prayer. We bow in prayer because we are wanting something to be done that only he can do. Right? When we bow in prayer, we are confessing that we are in a battle that we can't win, that cannot be won without his direct assistance. 1 Timothy 2.1 states, first of all, first of all, highlight that, circle that, underline that. First of all, right? He says, first of all, then I urge you to, I urge that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, right? If something is urgent, what do we do, right? If something is urgent, what do we do? We do it, right? If something is urgent, we do it. When do we do it? First, right? If something is urgent, we do it. And when do we do it? We do it first. Christian, in our battle, what is your go-to? Right? Let's ask now, maybe more reflectively and 
Uh, you don't have to volunteer. In fact, I'm not looking for you to volunteer, but just reflectively in your own heart and mind right now, ask yourself in your battle that the, where the Lord has placed you in your home, in your community, at your workplace, in the battle, what is your go-to? Right? Is it gossip? Is that your go-to? Is that your first? What is your go-to? Is it to complain? Is that your go-to? Is that your first? Is it to whine? Is it to run? Is it to, to escape? First of all, then escape. First of all, then run. First of all, then gossip. First of all, no, it doesn't say that in the text, does it? It says, first of all, pray. Our first go-to isn't to be any of those other things. It's not even uh, to look for the easier way out. And I confess, I want the easy way out. I have to sit down several times even just in worship today and reflecting on my own life and how I am and so quick and prone to want to escape, right? Is your government failing you? Is that what's pressing in on you right now, Christian? Is your culture resisting you? Is your husband burdening you? Your wife not respecting you? When someone insults you, treats you with disrespect, does not consider your feelings, what's your first? What's your first in those moments? Those are the hard moments, right? Those are the hard moments for me. That's when my, my, my faith in Christ hits the street level. What am I going to do then? Not right now. When I'm seeing this beautiful music and I'm, reminded, I'm in this, this real safe place and nobody's pushing on me. right? What about when people are pushing on me? What's my first? What's your first? You're sick. You're in deep pain. You're broke. Is that anybody in here? Right? Something you long for is missing in your life, a relationship, a career. What's your first? We see here that a mature disciple, first of all, you say it, prays. We see here that a mature disciple, first of all, you say it, prays. Prays. We need to be deeply convicted this morning. We need to be deeply convicted. Uh, it's one of the things that if you look on our, get on our website and see the things that we commit to as a church, that we commit to be a praying people. And so we need to be deeply convicted by the Holy Spirit. We need to be convinced as a church that we must give urgent priority to prayer. Right? When we first pray in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit helps our hearts get in line with God. We talk about wanting to be in line with God. We talk about all our struggles that we can't get out of and we just keep cycling back into. Well, are we praying? Right? Because when we're praying in the Spirit, He helps our heart get in line with God. And it can't be done without it. Praying in the Spirit is praying with a motive and an agenda for God's purpose to be accomplished, not my motive and my agenda to be accomplished. Right? So that's what it is to pray in the Spirit. I'm praying for God's way, not my way. God, your will, not my will. And boy, that, that just right there, if that's, that's the kind of prayer that, that God hears. God, your will, not my will be done and and to get to that place right I've got to humble myself before God and the people that that I'm living with and around to be start to start to pray like that when we first pray we also this is where we 
when we have this first of all mentality to pray, this is also where we're able to learn to rejoice in our trials. When we first pray, we learn to take joy and find happiness in our suffering. And when we first pray, we are reminded and can actually embrace and don't scoff at that idea that, that God will actually use our suffering to refine us and that he wants us to take joy in it. We can actually, we get that when we are, first of all, praying people. I don't think we can get that truth about rejoicing in our suffering Right and how God will use our suffering to refine us. I don't think we can grab that when we don't have an attitude, a heart attitude of praying. Because we can't get our hearts in line with God. When we first pray, that is, give urgent priority to prayer, the Holy Spirit keeps our hearts from grumbling, complaining, and hitting the panic button. Right? When I first pray in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit protects me from justifying my critical spirit, lowercase s, towards others. Okay? You're struggling with, with being critical towards others all the time and having a critical spirit and always critiquing and measuring and nobody's quite measuring up in your book. Like you struggle with that? Well, the, first of all, pray. That praying attitude, that praying mentality will... The Holy Spirit will protect you from that. Right? When we first pray, the Holy Spirit enables us to properly um, prioritize. You, you hear that? That's what we're saying. That when we first pray, the Holy Spirit enables us to properly prioritize. It is in prayer that we learn to seek first His kingdom Seek first, Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God. Well, how do we learn to do that? Through prayer. It's in prayer that we learn to seek first his kingdom. Without it, we will never prioritize God's agenda above ours. I will never prioritize his agenda above ours until I learn to pray and to pray first. We need access to his divine power as we wage spiritual war, church. I think maybe that's one reason we don't pick up our secret weapons because this battle that we're, that's raging all around us and within us, we don't like recognize, we're numb to it. We don't recognize that we're in the throes of it, right? And so we don't, we're, we're not functioning out of desperation and humility in the way that we probably ought to be functioning in terms of our need to call out to God who has made a way by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross so that we could then be covered and forgiven of our sins so that when we call out to the throne room of God, there is a mediator, Jesus, standing there to make our petitions known to the Heavenly Father. We can then hear an answer. And respond exactly at what we need. We need access to his divine power to wage spiritual war. 2 Corinthians 10. You can turn there if you can get there quick enough. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. It says, for although we live in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh. It's just what we were just saying. But man, we sure act like it, don't we? I do. 
I act like I wage war according to the flesh. I live like that. And, and when things in the flesh seem kind of at peace and everything's kind of going easy in my life and I'm having a good day, I tend not to pray, right? Because I'm waging war according to the flesh. And if the flesh seems like it's not hurting very much, then I feel like I might be doing pretty good. And I'm deceived, though, because there's a battle raging, right? And I think Satan can use that to lull me to sleep spiritually so I don't start calling out to God who crushed him, right? He don't want me calling out to Jesus. It says there, for although we live in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh, since the weapons of our warfare are not, the, not of the flesh, what are they, but are powerful through God for the demolition, demolition, of strongholds. We demolish arguments and every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to what? To so that we can obey Christ. We will not be the church, and I want to be the church that He wants us to be, but we won't be the church Jesus wants us to be. We won't be the church. Do you want to be the church that Jesus wants you to be? Okay, we won't be the church that Jesus wants us to be without a first of all pray mentality. Okay? Help us. Convict our hearts this morning, Jesus. Stir in us a need. We engage in the battle with urgency of prayer. And the second, we see here in the text that we are to pray for everyone. At the end of verse 1, it says there, you can follow as I read, these prayers be made for everyone. Right? The points this morning aren't getting too far away from the text, are they? These prayers are to be made for everyone. This is our second point. We are to pray for everyone, including verse 2, it says, including kings and all those who are in authority. That's hard. Because sometimes those in authority are our enemy. We don't want to pray for them. If we do pray for them, we're probably sometimes not praying for them according to God's heart for them. We might be trying to pray curses down on them or something like that. That's terrible because that's not what this is talking about. Many of the people that Timothy would face uh, would undoubtedly be his enemies or become his enemies these kings and he's telling Paul's been telling him pray for these kings and those in authority over you right Timothy was killed by his enemies right the very people he was called to pray for he was killed by where your where's our hearts right like I I know for me I can be so angry with my enemy and I put enemy like in quotes there because sometimes that enemy can be really close to home, like your spouse. Okay? Right? Or, or somebody that has just sinned against you one too many times. Right? And then finally you're just like, you've had enough and you're done. Right? Here's your enemy. Pray for your enemies. Right, I, I, we can get to this attitude where we're kind of like this is these are the thoughts that go are going on in our heads. Like, like I'm so angry uh, at my enemies, and 
I can't pray in love for them, <laughs> right? That's, what's, that's really what's taking place in our hearts and our, in, our, in our heads. You ever feel that? You, am I... So you, you, you then, and maybe you're not saying it or thinking about it like that, but you, you say, well, okay, I need to pray for my enemies. But then it goes back to what I just said earlier. You're, you're praying for you know, God's judgment on them. And, and I don't think it's wrong to pray for God's judgment and justice. But we want to be able to pray in love for our enemies. You see, we can wring our hands in a desire for justice. We can fixate and strategize to attain, retain, whatever you want to say, and acquire justice. But when we stop and first of all pray, we will be led to engage like Jesus. Okay? And that's why we're bringing this up right now is because the fact is, y'all, we're called to pray for those in authority. We're called to pray. And I, immediately my mind goes, those in authority can sometimes be our enemies. They were certainly Timothy's enemies. And, and so, man, how are we to pray? Well, and, and this call to prayer is also a call to engage culture. Right, And I'm thinking, like, as we're going through Mark, what did Jesus do? He engaged culture, did he not? He's engaging his area. Uh, where, where he, you know, all the areas he's ministry, he's engaging and speaking out against the culture of his time, right? And so when we stop and first of all pray, I believe that we'll be led to engage like Jesus, engage our culture like he engaged his, and engage other people like he engaged. Uh, Jesus modeled this kind of, this kind of prayer, didn't he? Right? From the cross, from the cross. Right? With the hope of redemption and forgiveness of sin in view, what does Jesus say? And his, first of all, pray mentality that he modeled for us. What does he say? Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And picture the place that he is praying from when he says that. Again, don't forget where he prayed that from. All right? Praying for his enemies while they're still crucifying him. Wow. Wow. That's powerful. Pray for your enemies, those who oppose you, who hate you, undermine you, despise you. Pray for those who cause you trouble, who don't like you. Pray for those using their power to make life difficult for you. Pray for everyone. Pray for everyone. It's a call to participate in non-discriminate praying. A non-discriminate gospel calls for a non-discriminate. We've said this before. Calls for non-discriminate praying. We've said it before, but I just need to be reminded of it again. A non-discriminate gospel calls for non-discriminate praying. Praying that goes beyond my own interest. Praying that goes beyond your own interest. And how do you get, church, how do we get to a place where you're willing and want to pray for everyone? Here it is. Here it is. And it begs another question, but here it is. How do you get to a place where you're willing and want to pray for everyone? Here it is. Receive the non-discriminate gospel. Right? So that begs the question, doesn't it, that if you're not willing, right, 
and not wanting to pray for other, everyone, you have to ask the question, have I received, do I understand this non-discriminate gospel? Right? You see, when his gospel captivates and saturates our hearts, we see everyone as a candidate for his grace and we pray in line. Right? We treat them and want them. When I say we pray in line, I'm saying we're praying for them uh, as a candidate of his grace. We're seeing everyone in that vein that we're praying in line. We're treating them and wanting things for them that are according to that grace that grabbed hold of us, that we were so freely given. This brings us to our third point. We must pray with purpose. Look at verse 2. Pray for everyone including leadership that opposes you, so that, here we are, we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. All right, so it's pray for everyone, and to paraphrase, including leadership that opposes you, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good, verse 3, and it pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. We see here that we pray uh, for others non-discriminately because of the non-discriminate purposes of the gospel. All right? And as it says there, first, what? Pray for leadership to lead in a way, and this is our interpretation here, we're praying for our leadership here in the United States to lead in a way that brings stability. Right? Right? I think that's what that must be what it means here when Paul's talking because you can't live in peace and quiet that he's talking about, right? If the government is in upheaval, upheaval, right? So he's saying pray for them that they won't lead in a way that will cause upheaval, right? Right, because, because uh, it, it's difficult, right, to live in peace and quiet tranquility, so to speak, if you're under severe persecution, and so I think this is a call for the church to pray, not to be under persecution, but that the government would order things rightly. While persecution can sift the church and strengthen a church, it is better if those in authority govern in ways that allow Christian and others to live side by side. Right? When we are allowed as Christians to live lives in front of people in peaceful, quiet way, so that they can see our commitment to God. I think that's what this text is saying. Pray for that. Pray for that. And guess what? And we've highlighted this in our prayer meetings leading up to Love Bolivar, that we, we even think of this moment right now. God has answered that prayer. By and large, we have that opportunity even right now this morning. Those prayers, I think, of saints in the past have been answered in many ways. And, and now you can, we could say, yeah, things look like they're taking a shift in, in a different direction. But, but as of right now, we are free here to gather. How are we using the current peace that we have to promote Christ and his gospel? So we should pray that the gospel would, allow, would be allowed to circulate. We need to keep praying like this. We need to keep praying that the gospel would be allowed to circulate in the public arena without hostility. That's a right prayer, church, and we need to pray like that, right? Because there's host I think the hostility is increasing. I think that's pretty clear, right? It's real clear, especially depending on where you work at. 
right? That hostility is increasing. Well, we need to pray, right? Right? In war and civil unrest, it is difficult to share the gospel. Paul experienced the benefit of orderly governing when a Roman official stepped in on his behalf, right? A riot, that, that riot that, uh, that erupted in the city of Ephesus, and that Roman official stepped in in Acts 19, and we see that that Roman official brought peace, which what? Which allowed the work of God to carry on. Right, because we live in a peaceful country, we are able to gather this morning and freely fulfill our responsibility to one another without losing our jobs or our life being threatened. That is a good thing. I think sometimes, you know, and I'm hearing things, and you're probably hearing things too, depending on what Christian group you're reading from, that sometimes it's like that's somehow not a good thing. That that if Christians want that or pray for that, they're somehow on some kind of culture war quest that's anti-Bible. That's not true. A peaceful community allows a Christian to live his devoted and holy life wide out in the open for others to see. I think the question that we've got to raise, are we doing that? Verse 2, lead life of godliness and dignity. One of the strongest arguments we make for the gospel is how we live the gospel, right? And in a peaceful society, we have more opportunities to do that. People see our commitment uh, to gather, to raise our children in the Lord. They see us serving one another. They experience us serving them. They read our literature. Bibles are free to circulate and on and on. So we are praying for the best conditions for the spread of the gospel so that everyone might hear and be saved. Now, I was reading an article in, uh, that I want to share with you, uh, a few paragraphs uh, in, from World Magazine, uh, and the title of the article is called Faithfully Fighting the Culture War, written by Abigail Dodds, and I thought it was fitting, and so I'm going to read some of the paragraphs to you if you don't mind. And I'm now reading from Abigail Dodd's article in World. She says, In a recent Christianity Today article, Russell Moore contends that the cross contradicts our culture wars. He argues that evangelicals engaging in what some call a culture war are akin to the builders of the Tower of Babel seeking self-glorification and self-protectionism through online platform building and tribalism. According to Moore, these cultural warriors are fueled by a form of humiliated resentment born of anger, envy, hate, rage, and revenge. He says culture wars and outrage cycles might fuel ratings and clicks and fundraising appeals, but they cannot reconcile sinners to a holy God, he says. She responds, well, in the culture wars you can see evidence of everything he sees, speaking of Russ Moore, but that is far from the whole story. This kind of argument creates a false dichotomy in which cultural engagement happens away from the life of the Spirit and the power of the gospel. 
Such an unchristian culture war is an unholy, ungodly means to an unholy, ungodly end. Yet, it's hard to reconcile such a description of culture warring evangelicals with actual spirit-filled believers, she says, who've surrounded her her entire life. She says, these believers wage spiritual war in light of 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5, which we just read. And she goes, and I'll read it again, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised up against the knowledge of God. She goes on. She says, Surely women at pregnancy care centers providing free ultrasounds and discouraging abortion while also sharing the gospel to clients, surely they are on the front lines of the culture war. Surely, when they post on Facebook about pro-life legislations, they ought not to be accused of platform building or revenge seeking. Surely, the man who refuses an employer's request to put his pronouns in his work bio because he believes God created male and female in his image is doing what is right. right? He is following the Apostle Paul's example to destroy every lofty opinion raised up against the knowledge of God. She says, surely when he retweets a video about the insidiousness of gender ideology being forced upon young children, he ought not to be accused of fueling the outrage cycle. And that's what's happening. Lots of Christians are critiquing other Christians of doing that when they try to take stances that are right and in line with Scripture. She raises the question, does the cost, that, so she just mentions these, these, uh, these cultural wars that are happening, and she's saying, man, these are right to engage in these things. And she asks this question, does the cross contradict these culture wars? No. <laughs> the cross is what makes them possible. Right? We actually have, uh, have an opportunity to, to speak to our culture. Give direction and engage. And, and I bring this up to say, and to pray in that direction. Engaging and waging war is our gospel call. Right? Our, our focus isn't only on our tainted hearts and imperfections. It ought to be. And I know I do a lot of that. We do a lot of that in here. Right? Right? And we ought to be focused on what's going on in here. But our battle is not just in our own hearts and homes and church. right? God is pointing our attention to be about expanding His kingdom beyond here. right? Of course not platform building, but kingdom building. Right? And in this battle for His kingdom, we pray that God's intervention in Government, we pray for God's intervention in government, right? Right. And in our lives, we need Him. We need Him to make us bold in these things, to proclaim and live the gospel. We've got to be praying now. Some of you 
have had to make decisions in, in this past year along these specific areas and have lost jobs or almost lost jobs right here in our own congregation because of, because of faithful decisions like this that you're making to stand up for what's right. And you need to know that your church is, is praying for you and, 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 and engaging in the spiritual battle on your behalf. Right? And the culture needs us to do this. That's why God put us here. That's what this text is saying. Right? We need him to create conditions where the gospel can spread fast and free. And we pray because we need help. We pray because we can resist what God wants. Our nation can resist what God wants. Right? And they do. Other world leaders can resist God. And the people we talk to about the gospel can harden their minds and hearts to it. Just as we see uh, people resisted Jesus in Matthew 23, and we see Jesus grieved by this. When Stephen preached the gospel in Acts 7, we see the people resisted the Holy Spirit. The point, spiritual forces are at work drawing people away from God. They're drawing people away from the good news that they need to be saved, and Jesus is the only one to do it. Spiritual forces are at work against what we're trying to accomplish. Where we're saying, hey, Jesus is the only way. You need to be saved, and it's really simple. You need to be saved. Man, your sin is going to send you to, to hell and separation from God, and we're here to say that, no, Jesus is the only way, and you need to be saved. And, and man, there is a war out there trying to, uh, to plug people ears plug people's ears from hearing that message. And we must plead with people not to resist God, right? And our, but our success in this requires God's activity. It requires prayer. So we pray for President Joe Biden with sincerity, all right? We, we must pray for a Vice President Kamala Harris. We pray for Supreme Court justices who will be more like Amy Coney Barrett and less like Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And we're not, we're not ashamed about that, right? Because we want judges who are, ju who are just. And judges who are for the killing of innocent babies or who, don't, who do not know how or to define a woman or what a woman is prove that they are incapable of proper governance, and the church needs to stand. We pray for peace and freedom of speech. We embrace that. We got to be clear about that. That freedom of speech is good. No matter what your religion. We pray that our country would make abortions illegal. We pray against unjust laws that discriminate against women or religion. Unjust laws that discriminate against speech. Politically, we pray for more believers to get involved in the political system, and we involve ourselves by voting, not to access more power for ourselves, but to see our political system legislate and rule in a way that restrains evil, <laughs> to, to see our political uh, system legislate and rule for the common good in a way that restrains evil. 
so that we are allowed as Christians to live mature lives out in the open, as it says here in our text, so that the gospel can freely be advanced in these areas. We pray that more people than us would come to a knowledge of the truth. We pray for everyone to be saved because that's God's will. And we pray and work with that expectation. Now there's other questions that this text raises, right? Look at verse 5 and 6. For there's one God and one mediator between God and humanity, the man Jesus Christ, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, testimony at the proper time. Jesus is as mediator. Jesus as mediator gives us access to God. We started with that. When you think of mediator, and I love this, we've said this before, but just picture it if you can in your mind's eye right now, that, that when you think of Jesus being your mediator, see him. This should comfort your soul and your mind. See him in your mind's eye. See Jesus standing between you and God and bringing you together. That's the mediator. That's what he does. It's a beautiful picture. He put his hand on both of us. It's because of Jesus that we have access to the very courtroom of God when we pray. It tells us how he gave us this access in verse 6, doesn't it? By buying us. He purchased us in Christ. Jesus gave himself as ransom. He bought you. You did not deserve. You were not worth a penny. Right? In terms of your sin and what you deserved. But Jesus said, yes, you are. And he gave his life to purchase you. Wow. Right? He saw you as worth. He bought you. And he gave his life as payment for your life. This payment, this sacrifice was the only sacrifice that was effective for the removal of your sin. That nothing else could do it. And you know that we sin, right? Anybody in here want to raise their hand and say, you're not a sinner? I don't recommend it. Right? We're sinners. And here's the deal. Here's the deal, church. Will you hear this? When we sin, we sin like our society sins. We, when we sin, we sin just like the godless person outside of these walls that doesn't want anything to do with God. When we sin, we sin just like them, even now. And what I mean by that is that, that we, when we're sinning, we look at God's design and God's instruction, and essentially what we say is we know better. You know what God allows other people to say? They know better. And we need, this is why we need to pray. Right? God has allowed other people, because we've said it, and he's allowed us to say it sometimes, right, that we know better. And so we need to come and pray that people won't say that. Right? And, and we need to come alongside and, and say, you don't know better. I know you want to say that, but you don't know better. And let me tell you uh, about God's story of why you shouldn't say you know better. Right? And so we need to pray for the gospel to be actively saturating communities all around the globe because it is the gospel that compels people to reconsider. And so we're sharing that with people, which is why when yesterday, when we're meeting, I mean, we really emphasize that, hey, when people are coming in and we're meeting with people, we're opening our Bibles and sharing the gospel with them, right? 
Why did the women do that yesterday? Why did they open the Bibles with every person that walked in here and share the gospel and pray? Because, because of this reason, because the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit is, I don't, I don't compel hard hearts to reconsider. The gospel, right? The fact that, that God the Father sent His only Son to die for you, right? That is what compels people to reconsider. His love for you, to rescue you. And that we've got to get the word out. That God's design is better. That His gospel is better. That Jesus is better. And I start talking like that, then that compels people. That compels people. Christ's love compels us, causing us to reach different conclusions about life. That's what causes me to reach different conclusions about life, <laughs> is the love of Christ. We've got to act and pray that Jesus, his good gospel, can be put in front of people. And so we have to, we have to pray and pursue people making kingdom arguments in order to see God and his word tear down those arguments, right? Because that's what he wants to do through his church. And so we've got to raise our hand and say, count us in. Count me in, right? And I feel like there's a little bit of what we did yesterday. It's, we're raising our hand, 150 people from here, and we're saying, count us in. Like we see them and we want, we want to, to pursue them and love them and care for them in Christ, Right? You know, sadly, it's easy to fall into an elitist mentality, right? And I think God wants to use events like yesterday to stir us, and that's why I bothered pausing, right? Because it's easy for the church to fall into elitist mentality, right? God wants to use events like yesterday and words from, from the scripture like this to, to protect us from living and praying like Jesus just died for those in this room and forgetting about everybody else. Right? Let's be reminded this morning of his desire, of his want, not just for us, but for others. There's more lost sheep that need found. Right? So that let, let's be people that live and right, praying that we're living our lives. Let's be those people that are living our lives praying and engaging. And expecting him to use us. Our directive is urgent. It's like we started in the beginning. The text is clear. The text is clear in verse 5, right? That there's only one way to salvation. Verse 5, it says, One God, one mediator between God and humanity. It's a universal offer with an exclusive route, which ought to make us more urgent in the spiritual and waging the spiritual war that God calls us to because it's a it's a yes it's a universal offer but it has an exclusive route now next week we'll talk more about the how the gospel is inclusive in its aim but it's not inclusive in terms of its route right there's only one way there's only one route the route to salvation is unique. It's exclusive. There's only one. His name's Jesus. As we consider these challenges that we face in our culture, opposing Jesus, those challenges out there that oppose him, that oppose this exclusive message, 
I raise the question again to the church. Do we think that, that our culture is just drifting about and that is why they tend to resist God's design like they do? Do you think they're just sort of drifting? And that's why they, they don't really receive what we're talking about sometimes. you think that's what, what it is? No. Y'all, they're not. They're not just drifting, right? And this is why we got a call to pray. They aren't just drifting. There are powerful forces of evil pulling people away from the exclusive call of the gospel, which requires a church to engage and to re-engage, right? And we begin to do that in prayer. That's like our first step. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, against cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. And because of that, we, church, need to regularly access our, as we talked about in the beginning, our secret weapon, which is prayer. We need special power. We need our God and his forces. We need the Holy Spirit filling and moving and going in front of us. And we activate all this through prayer. Verse 6, Jesus gave himself voluntary, voluntarily as a sacrifice for our sin. Isaiah 53, 12 talks about him pouring out his life unto death, giving us life as a ransom payment for us. Why? Why? Why is this such great news? Because you and I could not free ourselves. You're here in this room. You cannot free yourselves from the bondage of sin and the inevitable judgment of God. You couldn't. We couldn't do it. We needed Jesus, right? And he, he did it. He did it. He paid it all. He was man, ransom, mediator. We, humanity, humanity, that's us, sinful, guilty, perishing. We can't save ourselves. And we must proclaim to as many as possible this truth. There at the end of verse 6, it says, this is the testimony at the proper time. This is the testimony at the proper time. This is the testimony at the proper time. Jesus, who has died for all mankind, stands. Jesus. Y'all, Jesus. Jesus, who died for all mankind, stands as a testimony of God's desire for all to be saved. God's divine plan is to display his mercy. It came. God's divine plan to display his mercy came. It says in the text. When? At the proper time. And we are now in this time. We are now in the age when God is wanting everyone everywhere to know. Of his mercy and his grace through Jesus. So let us tell. Let us tell. Let us commit this morning to step up our game even more. Let's be encouraged and inspired by what he allowed us to, to take part in yesterday and tell needy hearers, pray for everyone. That's our job, to let people know that Christ Jesus has come into the world to save sinners. Last there, we see that Paul calls himself a herald. A herald, right? What's, what in the world is that? What are you talking about, herald? Right? A newscaster, right? Having your mind with a big microphone or an announcer at, a, at an athletic event. I've been watching a lot of Cubs games recently. I accidentally bought something. I didn't tell my wife yet that gives you access to all the Cubs games. I probably need to count, cancel. I thought it was free. She's just now hearing this. Uh, but <clears throat> um, you get to hear the announcers from Chicago. That was pretty neat. 
And boy, they're good at their job. They are not unsure about who they are talking about, are they? They are not. Paul says he's an announcer, and he is not unsure of who he is talking about. And God has strategically placed each and every one of us as image bearers. That's what that means. The kings used to do that when they would take territory. Do you know this? And they'd build a statue at the end of the territory to let them know. And they'd build a statue. What did that statue represent? It represented that king. Okay? Right? That, right? And, then, and then people would come and they would see that. And they would go, oh, that's the king's territory. Well, he created each of us as image bearers and he's strategic. But we are, lo- we are not just statues that represent him. We are living, breathing image bearers of God. And he strategically placed us all throughout the nations and all throughout Bolivar. Why? So that we can represent him and proclaim him boldly. Okay? Amen. Man, take that home with you and pray towards that end that God would give us as a church, the strength and the obedience and the boldness needed to be a people that bear his image and proclaim his glories and the beauty of his gospel and the love of his son to the nations and to our neighbors. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are so good to us. We thank you for your grace. It's so easy for me to get sleepy at the wheel. And God, we just ask that you wake us up by the power of your spirit this morning, that you stir the hearts of your church right here in this room, that you stir us that you help us to see and that you plant in our hearts this morning the need for us to be people of prayer. That we recognize that, man, if there is not time on our knees, then there will not be gospel success in our lives. And so, Lord, send us with conviction to our knees that we might call out for you because we need you to work in our own hearts, in our own minds, to to tear down the, the strongholds that are there, but also in our culture. Give us eyes that go beyond our own church, our own homes, our own hearts. That we would see the brokenness of others and that you would use us to reach them so that they might know the the life and the beauty and the love that you have so richly and freely made available to us through the sacrifice on the cross. Jesus, we thank you. Jesus, we love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.